circumstances that define the present. And the idea is to diagnose and, and define the present. The better we understand the present, we can understand the future. And in thinking in that, once we establish what the present is, there's a probable future which defines the current destination we are headed. So if we don't change anything, if we just keep on going like we've been going, we're going to arrive to a destination. That's very obvious to us. We could probably tell anyone what that destination will be. In that probable future, there are possible futures as well, which is a broader area that contains all of the alternative destinations if we altered our course. And so we're headed to a probable future, but in that area are a lot of possible futures. And last of all, there's what's called the preferred future. And this is our desired goal. So a definition of the word goal is a picture of our, our preferred future. So if you put it all together, all those words that start with P um, that is probably bouncing around in your head right now, if you put it all together in one image, it would look like this. There's the present, our current circumstances, and then wherever we are, there's always a preferred future. We're always thinking about a better life or a, a better church plan or a better congregation or a better business, and so there's this preferred future. Then there's a probable future, and the work is changing that course, altering that course, perhaps in 12 months, perhaps a shorter time or longer time. It's altering that course to arrive to a preferred future, which is another way of saying a goal that's in our head, a goal that we have in mind. Let me illustrate this for just a minute using Scripture because this, these are very basic ideas Basic words, we see them in Scripture a lot. For example, think of the Exodus. Think of Exodus chapter 3. God appears before Moses in the, in the manner of a burning bush. Moses is there. And he surprises Moses through a description of what's going on in Egypt. And so there, there's this present circumstance that's laid out before Moses. And, he, and God says to Moses... My people are crying out to me. They are uh, uh, captured and enslaved by Pharaoh and Egypt and are crying out for help. And God says to Moses, I am going to deliver them. I'm going to draw them out of Egypt. And after that, I will bring them, and here's the preferred future, to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the goal for the Israelites. And of course, you know the story... But just to continue with this illustration, think about the possible futures. There were some that belonged to Israel that did not arrive to the preferred future because there were other possible destinations. And so a whole wicked generation died out because they weren't obedient to God. That was a possible future. So we see it in the story of Exodus. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. We can see it. In our own exodus, as we think about our own salvation as a constant theme in the Bible, and in Romans chapter 5, we see these elements again. We see Paul talking about this idea in verse 8. And he says, for while we were still weak, there's that present circumstance again, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person 
one would even dare to die. And these are hypothetical situations just to get his point across, but we could say for our purposes, perhaps they're possible futures. There are other options out there. But then he gives us the preferred future, the goal for all. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So we see these elements again. I'm, I came to talk about Cusco, and I know I'm throwing a lot of words to start with P out, so I'll back off a little bit, and I'll, I'll conclude three things using this idea. First of all, again, the Bible is full of stories about present circumstances, probable futures, possible futures, preferred futures. We could continue with illustrations. Second, at the heart of the conflict between the present and the preferred future is this idea or this big word, change. You remember the image I put up earlier? Remember the course that was drawn up there? It said 12 months. The idea is changing that course from a perf- or, or a probable future to a preferred future, to where we will likely end up and do the work to be able to push that over to where we would like to end up. Our destination, in other words, our goal. And that's the hard work that everyone is involved in. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or a missionary or an elder in the church or just a man who would like to, to change the values of his family. It takes time to change it from a probable future to a preferred one. And third, uh, thinking about these ideas, mission work is about change and that it goes into a present con- uh, context and presents to that culture a preferred future. And that's why I love mission work. That's why I love the opportunity to go into a context that is unchurched and to present them the goal and the promise and the blessing of Christ. And we need more of that. We need more missionaries and more church planners and more that are active in the kingdom presenting to people, lost people, the hope of Christ and challenging them to be able to move that probable future to a preferred one through God's grace. And we need more because as we look at the present, we see the statistics show that we're not doing everything we should be doing. Take, for example, some of the more recent studies. Some of these are a little outdated, but I did a little bit, just a tiny bit of research and and discovered these numbers. The church, one study said, the church has decreased by 6.2%. This was between the year 2003 and 2012, so about 9, 10 years there. It showed, unfortunately, that churches in the United States has decreased by 6.2%. The same study showed that in conjunction with that, we have 708 fewer congregations in the Lord's Church in the United States during that nine to ten year period. A a second study that's a bit outdated showed that from the years 1975 to 1996, we went from 800 missionary families to 500 missionary families. We lost 300 missionary families during that span. And finally, a fourth study that was a really excellent study, it was done in 2017, uh, specifically about Peru, shows that there are only 26 congregations in Peru, with a collective attendance of 1,276. 
That sounds like a lot. That's a big number, 1,276. But when we compare it to other countries like Brazil, which is a very large country, but there's a lot more missional activity going on in Brazil with a collective membership or worship attendance of 11,000, over 11,000. So there's much to be done as we look at this present circumstance and where we stand. I know missionaries come, they don't usually bring out this information and talk about the need, but there's so much work that needs to be done. We need more of an urgency, more anxiety in the church in thinking about reaching the lost and thinking about, critically thinking about how can, in our present circumstance, we reach out to more people so that we can reach and, and, uh, and uh, arrive to a preferred future, a goal, a worthy goal in the church. So thinking about that, 10 years ago, our family with two other families, we got together and we outlined five major goals, overarching goals. And we haven't changed these goals over the course of five years. We, it, there were times where we didn't really see how we were going to arrive to these goals, but we continued at it. We tried to be more stubborn than, than the obstacles in the path, and so... Even now, in the seventh year, or the eighth year, I should say, of the church work, in the ninth year of us being there, we're continuing with these five goals. And you've heard these goals before. I've mentioned them at Hoover. I've mentioned them in several places that I've spoken at. And they're very important. Thinking about the work of the church in Cusco. And I I think the best way we can use our time this evening is to work through the goals again and talk about what's been done and trying to reach our preferred future in these five goals. And so, very quickly, we'll talk about these, and then we'll discuss a passage from John chapter 1 in conclusion. Number one, thinking about uh, the Cusco work and the five major goals and trying to reach a preferred future, we have said, as a mission team, our goal is to target middle-class heads of households. Usually what I say when I mention this, is I follow it up by saying, we're trying to reach everyone. We're trying to reach upper class, lower class. We do not discriminate against different classes in Cusco. But this is what we found as we were surveying for the work 10 years ago and doing research and thinking about how we would approach this. We saw that there was a deficit in male spiritual leadership in Latin America. A lot of churches we went to were very unbalanced in their division or their makeup between men and women. There were a lot more women than men, and that's fine. We, we want women in our churches, obviously. But when we're trying to raise up elders and deacons and evangelists in the church and look for spiritual leadership, this is a problem. And so we've tried to be very intentional in reaching out to middle-class heads of households, and it's been difficult at times. For example... We've worked with several individuals throughout the years, and I think in the first few years, uh, those who were looking for some kind of community, some kind of network, those who were maybe broken or marginalized in the society, they were worshiping with us, and many became members. And we were celebrating that. We wanted that. We were looking for them too. But it was very difficult and frustrating working with broken people. Because it was heartbreaking. They would work with you some and then they would leave and come back. And sometimes they would just disappear. And I remember one individual in particular 
that came, his name was Danny, and he worshipped with us, and he was baptized, and we studied the Bible with him, and he had all kinds of problems. And Danny continues to be a good friend of mine. He's a recovering alcoholic as well. And so he's fighting all these obstacles in his life, and trying to raise up spiritual leadership was very difficult. He became a leader for a while, but it was just too much for him. And taking on some of the other things he had going on in his life. And even today, Danny's currently not worshiping with us. And so we're working with him to, to get him back into our services and back in the activity of the church. But one Sunday, I walked into the uh, auditorium and was greeting everyone. We were scrambling, getting ready for preparations for the worship service. And I saw a picture of goal number one sitting there in the seats. There was a man with his wife and three kids. And that was a very unique experience for me on that Sunday. We don't usually experience that in Cusco. And so I approached them and began talking to them. And I asked the question, how, what's your names and how did you arrive to the worship service this morning? And the man said, my name is Fidel. And I was invited by my brother, Danny. I said, wow, that's great. And I thought about that and thought about how God works through others to bring individuals to Christ. And here was Fidel and his wife and three kids, and they have become part of the church. In fact, here's a picture of Danny, or Fidel, his brother Fidel, who was baptized two months ago. He was baptized in this very cold, frigid water in the river up on the mountain. That's where he wanted to be baptized. We have a nice heated baptistry in the church building. And his wife, Juliana, and two of their three boys are pictured there as well. And now Fidel is working towards spiritual leadership. We know that God will use this family to influence the work of the church there in Cusco. In the past seven years... 136 individuals, or 137 now, there was one a couple of days ago, have been baptized and added to the church in Cusco. And so as we're thinking about this number, sure it's a, a big number, but we're looking for spiritual leadership. We're looking for those who can continue on the work of the church. Number two, we believe that establishing a self-sustaining congregation of three to five hundred members will provide a powerful force for even more church plants by Peruvian members. If you looked at the statistic I, I said earlier that among the 26 congregations there was 1,276 members, the, church, the congregations in Peru. If you look at that and do the math, you'll see that there's an average of about 49 members per congregation in Peru. And the ones I've surveyed and looked at in Peru, that's about 10 to 20 more than what I've seen in the different churches. There are some that are a lot more than that, maybe double that. But it's very difficult and frustrating for churches in the United States to send missionaries in other parts of the world anticipating self-sustaining churches when we really don't have the numbers, technically that's what it comes down to, to support a local church internationally. And so we set out long ago and we said, we're going to have to have the numbers. We're going to have to evangelize and do the hard work and, and evangelize and disciple those who can continue to grow the church. And so we started with six. 
a little over seven years ago. For example, in 2013, we had about average 65 members or 65 in worship attendance. 2017, we've had 95 average in worship attendance. The last couple of months, we've had about 100, 110, more or less, in worship attendance. And so we are seeing this uh, number go up with each month that goes by. And there are highs and lows. But for the most part, we're seeing growth in the worship attendance. We're working towards this goal of three to 500 members. But one obstacle that we're noticing in thinking about this is the obstacle of space. When I was here in 2016, I mentioned this. We're noticing that we don't have a facility large enough to be able to house a attendance of three to 500, which is what we need for self-sustainability in a mission work. And this is a problem. In Cusco, in the city, it's very difficult to find a, an available facility that will house three to 500, much less, or, or that will house 100, 150, much less three to 500. And so we began to be creative. We thought about things and we said, let's add on a worship service in the morning. We had to do that. And now we have one that's growing as well. We said, let's start a building program. So we've done that as well. I'll mention that in just a minute. But these are things we're trying to do to be able to reach that goal of three to 500. We're trying to move that course from a probable future to a preferred one so that we can reach these goals. Number three, our goal is to replace ourselves. And the training of Peruvian leadership is interwoven into everything we do as missionaries. This is what we said, and we've worked towards this for many years, but I think 2016, the last half, and 2017, we did a lot towards reaching this goal. And I think it's one of the favorite, my favorite things that we do as a church and a church plant. Um, many of you know, as I mentioned earlier, and also many of you have personally experienced the mission campaign, the medical campaign that we do every March. It's a big success. A lot of work goes into it. We've had a few converts that have been very important converts that have led to more converts as a result of that medical campaign. And so we're excited about uh, what will happen next month in working towards another medical campaign. But year to year, the Peruvians would see that and they would watch all the creative energy and all the resources being poured into that. And the question began to come out, how come we can't do that? How come we can't do a medical campaign? We thought about this concept of replacing ourselves. Are we allowing the Peruvians to do what we always take the lead on? And so last summer, the Peruvians planned and implemented a very successful campaign. And they did several things. For example, they went into the market and evangelized and passed out things to those who work in the market. They also did other things like one day, the day I happened to volunteer to go and Cole and I went and participated in this day, it happened to be the day that they wanted to paint bathroom stalls in the public school system, which was disgusting. But we decided to go and Cole was a, a, a trooper and helped out, it was a big help. And we did that all day, and it was a lot of work, but it was also a good uh, connection, good works done in the community. Another thing that was done was we went on buses and handed out free bus passes to those who were on the buses, and we handed out information about the church and about Bible studies. And so a lot of good works were done during that week of the campaign, the Peruvian-led campaign. 
Second, another thing that we, we're doing to replace ourselves, something I've talked about in the past, is our home Bible study group ministry that we do. And so we meet in different homes throughout the week, and we study the Bible, and a lot of individuals come together. And a lot of those from the community are coming in to study the Bible. And this is a great opportunity because the missionaries, for the most part, aren't leading these groups. They're Peruvian-led. And Peruvians are being discipled by missionaries to lead these groups. And we changed some things around last year, and we went from six groups to 13 groups in one year. And so we're seeing exponential growth as individuals are becoming more involved in this. And as I said, we're seeing leadership where they're taking care of each other. They're being benevolent towards each other. And they're learning what it means to be in Christian community. Another idea is the leadership pathway training. This is something that Derek worked in a lot while he was there as well. And what we said was we're doing a lot to raise up and to discern who could be good preacher evangelist in this congregation. But we started asking the question, what about elders? Are we doing anything to move that course towards a preferred future where we have elders in the church? What about missionaries? Are we raising up missionaries? And so we had to grow this leadership pathway system out to where we could reach out to those who could serve as elders and who could serve as missionaries as well. And so we've done some teaching, had some courses, and we're currently at the beginning of this year. I haven't been there, but now we're discipling individuals who can later on serve in those roles and uh, trying to grow up the local church through biblical leadership. And finally, I've mentioned the individuals here. Those who have been to Cusco know these guys. Elvis is on the right and Percy on the left. Elvis and his wife, Yolanda, are pictured there. But these guys have worked with us. They're from the Cusco church. We've worked with them four or five years now. The church sent them out to a Bible institute in Central America, and they came back in January to serve on staff in Cusco. And so now we have a missionary Peruvian evangelist staff working together. It's all equal footing. We're working together, and they're doing a lot of preaching and teaching. And they're already influencing the vision of the church and doing one-on-one -on -one studies. Percy baptized an individual a week and a half ago, and so good things are happening as we're working towards replacing ourselves. And last of all, we're experiencing a lot of team transitions, especially in 2018, and this is all a part of replacing ourselves. This is a picture where we usually take our planning retreat at the end of each year where we put, we don't plan everything there, we actually put it all together, all together there. And again, I, I think of Derek and Danielle and these, when I'm going through this uh, uh, furlough presentation because they're there, they were there and they understand how intense this is. But there were a lot of individuals there. Some of the girls there were taking care of the kids for us as we worked through this. But this is a picture of the current team. And the reason why it's so large is we're preparing for this transition. Three years ago, we started, or even before that, we were recruiting and we were um, having missionaries come, two to three missionaries come. And now we have a team of three missionaries with a few others and the Peruvian evangelist. And so the Kaisers, Allison and myself, and Gary and Jennifer Reeves, Gary's pictured on the left there, and, uh, and also Corinne. Many of you know Corinne who come to the campaign understand the campaign wouldn't happen without Corinne. So we're all leaving at the end of this year. We're leaving Cusco, Peru and moving back to the States. 
And so all of that for team transition, all of that is a response to this idea of replacing ourselves, looking for a preferred future where it's Peruvian-led, where it's self-sustaining, and we have a Peruvian Church of Christ in Cusco. Um, incidentally, I'll just mention very quickly, some of you already know, but the three families I mentioned, including ourselves, we're coming back and we're continuing church planning here in the States. And so we're working with, we're going to work in a bilingual Hispanic church plant here in the States. And we're scouting out opportunities. And the United States is full of opportunities. And much work has to be done in the U.S. in order to, to reach out to the growing need here in, in planting churches. Number four, I mentioned this earlier and I'll go through it quickly. A strategy that is important specifically in a Latin American context is securing a permanent centralized location for the church to meet. I've mentioned the obstacle of space, the idea that we just don't have enough space in the building and it's not going to improve just by moving somewhere else. We're going we're going to have to meet this need at some point. And so it's necessary, and we planned this out 10 years ago, that we secure a permanent location for the church. The Peruvians can raise up spiritual leaders. They can organize themselves. They can do good works. They can grow the church through one-on-one -on -one studies. And they can uh, lead in worship and so forth. But planning or, or, or having a permanent facility in the city of Cusco is very difficult for them. So we're partnering together with the overseeing churches and the, and the supporting churches to be able to provide this for them during our 15-year missionary presence there in Cusco. And we began a campaign. Some of you are giving towards this campaign. If you would like to give towards the building campaign, there's a website there you could go to, crowdrise.com forward slash Cusco. You can also talk with me after the service tonight. I can give you more information about it. But so far, we have... $450,000 pledged towards the building program. We need more. We don't have enough uh, to be able to accomplish this goal. And so, again, if you're interested in this, this is a goal that we need a lot of development on. We could use your help. Number five, I've always said it's my favorite of the five goals. We must guide the Peruvians in establishing one additional congregation before the missionary presence leaves Cusco. And this is what we said our attitude is that the ultimate goal should not be a building, but rather a church planning movement in Cusco. It should be where we're not thinking of the end goal being brick and mortar, but rather establishing more congregations in this region of Peru that needs churches. It needs the church's presence in Cusco. And so we're working towards this. We're investigating this now. It should be done sooner rather than later. We're already behind on this, but we're working towards this so that we can accomplish goal number five as well. I want to close talking about these things, and I want to mention very quickly a passage from Isaiah, and then we'll look at John chapter 1. I mentioned earlier about the tension, or maybe I didn't, but I did mention the transition that's happening in Cusco with the current team, the, the, we've been saying the old team, I don't look old, but I guess I'm part of the old team. Gary looks old, and I'm with him, so 
But the old team and the new team, we've been talking about this transition. And there's anxiety, not only on the part of the Peruvians there who have been converts uh, throughout those seven years, but also on the part of the missionaries who will begin to serve by themselves in that role as the first wave leaves. And there's insecurity, anxiety, there's a little bit of instability as we think about this transition. There's fear on our part and pain as we think about almost a decade of, of investing our lives there and we're thinking about our kids and so forth. And so this year is going to be difficult for us. Please pray for us as we make this transition. Please think about us and think about us especially towards the end of the year. It's going to be very difficult. Thinking about this, uh, we preached at Christmas Eve last year, just a few few a couple of months ago we preached about this we talked about this to the church and we preached from Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 4 where God says through the prophet give attention to me my people and give ear to me my nation for a law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples God says through Isaiah I will set my justice for a light to the nations I will be a light to the nations there's a prophecy there of something better that will arrive to the world and illuminate the world and eliminate the darkness. A light will come in. So there is this promise and this hope, and as we were talking about this in Cusco, obviously they understood it for several reasons. One being, this is what we say in Cusco. Many times we, we always talk about this idea of say loose, which is be light. And we talk about this biblical concept that's throughout the Old Testament and very much a part of the New Testament of being light. We try to make it as simple and as biblical as that idea. Be light in everything that you do. Because we're a part of that movement of being a light to the nations. And now we're teaching and preaching. It's not about a missionary or an evangelist or your father in the faith who brought you in. Those things were important. But it's about Jesus, the true light, the one who brought truth into the world and brought life into the world and eliminated the, the darkness from our lives. And so in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, the apostle wrote his nativity scene, I guess you could say, his introduction of the gospel in this section, verses 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And what John gives us in this passage is, again, this commentary that's constant throughout Scripture about light. Jesus, the light of the world. And as a missionary in Cusco, and as an individual, as a father for my family, as a part of the church, as one who is, is part of this church, and you can put yourself in all that, as you think about your own life, and the obstacles, and the trials, and the darkness that creeps in, we understand that we're light in all these things. I like what the Scottish missionary said 
John Keith Falconer, he said, I have but one candle of life to burn and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Our job is to go into the darkness and illuminate the darkness with light. We're to only reflect the light that is found in Jesus Christ. And so thinking about that, I want to encourage you tonight to be light. That's what we would say in Cusco. I think it rings true here as well. To be light in a land filled with darkness. We have an opportunity every moment, really, not just Sundays, of listening to the invitation, of understanding the call that we have from God and call us into the light, but also to reach into those dark places of our lives and illuminate them. And that begins with confession. That begins with repentance. That really begins with baptism, identifying ourselves with God's Son, Jesus Christ. If we can help you in any way this evening, we invite you to come forward right now as we stand and sing.